So happy Easter. <laughs> Thanks for being here today. Thanks especially to those of you who are parked in illegal parking spots and uh, far away. Thanks to those of you who are sitting really close to somebody you don't know, uh, but everyone here is really cool, so you'll have a great morning. Uh, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're so glad to be able to get together on Easter, to be able to get together on the day that for thousands of years all around the world, uh, people celebrate and people observe the resurrection of Jesus. And we say, Happy Easter. It's this uh, thing that the media hasn't found out yet, so they don't have a war on Easter. Uh, but eventually, I'm sure there'll be something where we don't say Happy Easter, we say Happy Bunnies Laying Eggs Day. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, none of the kids this morning complained about the biological impossibilities there, right? Like, the things that Bunny has that look like chocolate eggs, don't eat those. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Some of you didn't have bunnies growing up, but <laughs> we're t uh, uh, want to say Happy Easter, uh, and uh, Happy Easter is a thing that we want to talk about uh, this morning about what it means to be happy on Easter. I'm a I'm a driven person. I like uh, challenging things. If there's like uh, options available to me, I tend to choose the one that's the most difficult because I th I, I enjoy challenges. I enjoy overcoming things. Uh, and there's this uh, little scripture in the Bible when a guy named Paul, who uh, became a Christian for the very first time, Jesus actually appeared to him. And Jesus appeared to him in such a way that it was so bright that Paul became blind, which is kind of a surprising thing, you know, like that's probably never happened to one of us. But uh, Paul became blind and then he had to meet someone and, and he healed them and kind of a, a strange story in the middle of the a New Testament in the second half of the Bible uh, but there's this little line when the guys are asking about uh, Paul uh, and, and they're kind of nervous about the whole situation. And Jesus says, I must show him how much he must suffer for my name. When he becomes a Christian, Jesus' words and his vision for Paul's life is I must show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I kind of like that verse because it sounds like a challenge, Right? Like, it sounds like, oh, this is going to be really difficult. And growing up, part of me wanted to be a Christian because it's a more challenging way to live. I, and I feel more alive when I'm living in a more challenging way. If I have multiple options, I choose the more difficult one, partly because it forces me to pray more. It forces me into, uh, like, dependency on God because I want something that's so challenging that I... I need God on my side or this thing just completely won't happen. Kind of like resurrection from the dead. This kind of thing just does not happen without a radical movement of God. The problem is, if you're like me and you're a driven person, uh, that kind of drivenness, if, if it gets into an unhealthy state, you start to forget that you're allowed to be happy, that you're allowed to have fun, that you're allowed to smile every now and then because you're like, uh, challenge, challenge, challenge. I want the next challenge, right? And you develop this anger with the world because you've got this like me versus everybody kind of thing. You end up cheering for sports teams that are really bad and just being depressed all the time, right? And, and, uh, or like your favorite athlete doesn't make the playoffs and you're like angry, 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 those kinds of things. But <clears throat> there's, a, there's some scripture that I want to talk about. Uh, and this is in the book of Romans. Uh, which was actually written by that same guy named Paul. Uh, the same guy who suffered. He actually was in multiple shipwrecks. He was in prison for following Jesus. He was actually like, tried to, they tried to kill him multiple times. He had to escape like out windows and sneak away. 
and he writes this book, or this we call it a book, but it's actually a letter to the church in the city of Rome uh, a couple of thousand years ago. And he writes this letter, and there's these three verses in there that I want to read to you today, and we're going to put them on the screen. Um, this is the end of chapter 4, that's why there's a 25 there. But the chapters and verses, Paul didn't put them there. We put them there afterwards, all right? So they're an artificial imposition. So I'm going to preach from two chapters of the Bible. So if this goes really long, you can tell your friends, like, I went to this terrible church. He preached two whole chapters of the Bible, right? And you can just go with that. Uh, So Jesus was given to die for our sins, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Since we have been made right with God by our faith, we have peace with God. This happened through our Lord Jesus Christ, who through our faith has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy, and we are happy because of the hope that we have of sharing God's glory. If you have a a Bible, you can open it and read it, but I saw you all coming in, you don't. So uh, (laughs) if you have the Bible app, if you don't have a Bible app, there's one called YouVersion, like Y-O-U version, and it's the best one out there uh, by far, and you can download that. We're in a middle school dead zone, so it'll take you the whole service. But we create events in the bottom corner. Uh, you can click on that and click on events and choose the Grove Church. And the scriptures that I'm going to teach on today will be there. You can highlight them or comment on them. And the other people that are your friends on the app will be able to read them. You'll be able to interact. But this is the main scripture that I want to talk about today. The first thing is this. Why did Jesus die? Shouldn't that be the question on Easter? Like, why on earth would Jesus come to earth if he knew that he was going to die? If why on earth would God send Jesus to earth if they knew that he was going to die? Jesus comes to earth to die for our sins. Like Jesus' mission in life was to live the perfect life so that he could be the worthwhile and the worthy sacrifice for sin. Because we were made to be in relationship with God and our sin actually breaks down that relationship. Just like anything, like a sin is something that breaks down a relationship. A relationship between you and a friend, uh, you and a partner, uh, you and your child, or you and a parent, you and a co-worker. Those relationships break down when people do things that break down those relationships. And so we had broken down our relationship with God, every single person. The Bible actually teaches that. We all have. There are two kinds of people, the Bible says. People that have sinned and people that have lied about it, which is a sin. But... uh, um, but there's, Jesus came to die for our sins, to overcome the broken separation that we have between us and God. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. And so in his death, he overcomes the separation, but in his resurrection, he actually brings us together. So in his death, he destroys what separates us, And then in his resurrection, he moves us into right relationship with God. But this happens, we made right with God through our faith. And not just having faith, but having faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What that means is putting your full trust in the work that God did to overcome that which separates you from God, that's what separates you from the, like you were made to be in relationship with God, so it separates you from your destiny, you from your purpose. Jesus overcomes that when we put our full faith and trust in Jesus. And there's all sorts of words for this that people use. Jesus used the word born again, and I know now today that's a political segment, but that's the word Jesus used a couple thousand years ago because it describes this complete change in who you are when you change from leading your own life 
to allowing God to lead your life, to allowing Jesus to actually lead your life, to guide your decisions, for the Holy Spirit to empower you to have a powerful life. So we are made right with God through our faith, which we, so we have peace with God. Everyone who's happy, so you know, everyone who's happy, if you know people who are happy, they're somehow at peace. They're at peace with God, they're at peace with other people, like there's like a certain amount of chillness to a person that's happy because they're at peace in their relationships. And through our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be happy in our relationship with God because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, who through our faith has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy, and we are happy because of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. What that means is the followers of Jesus are happy. If a person isn't a follower of Jesus, they might be happy, they might experience pleasure, but they aren't marked as a happy person because happiness can be affected by our circumstances. But Paul, who's writing these letters during an incredibly difficult time, which is marked by Jesus' vision statement for his life, I must show him how much he must suffer for my name, Paul says, we are happy because we're sharing in the hope, because of the hope, sorry, because of the hope we have in sharing God's glory. So if you want to be happy, you're at peace with God, and you share in God's glory. And that's the end of the sermon. <laughs> Except, no one on earth knows what sharing in God's glory means. What are you doing today? Oh, I'm sharing in God's glory. Well, that's nice. No one knows what that means. <laughs> Well, the Bible actually uses that word, though, uh, glory, to describe something very specific. We tend to think of God's glory means like God's goodness or awesomeness or bigness or God's like royalness or his aura, like his kind of glowiness, if that makes sense. It doesn't, but I said it out loud. When we're talking about this, but the Bible uses the word glory to describe something very different. There's a verse in Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 3, and then it repeats in uh, Revelation at the end. And both of these are visions of what's happening in heaven, like actually what's happening in heaven right now. Uh, and it's hard to understand heaven as a place, as a, a physical or a, a supraphysical or a metaphysical place right now, but heaven exists currently. Uh, however, that's explainable is not the point. What's happening in heaven, we're giving these visions of in the scripture. In Isaiah chapter 6 and the end of the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, we're giving these visions. And the same thing happens. There's these creatures that are terrifying in their description flying around the throne room of God, and they're singing a song that says, Holy, holy, holy. And if you grew up, like if grandma made you go to church when you were a kid, they would sing the songs out of the book. Uh, and one of the songs was like, had the line, holy, 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 right? And by the time you got to that third holy, you don't remember anything else because you're like snooze. But uh, there's this uh, songs that, that go on and the song is written because, and the song is written regally because it's the joining in the song that is happening in heaven currently. So anytime when we're singing, and we sing about the holiness of God, we're joining in a song of worship that has been going on for who knows how long and is continuing to go on in heaven. So when God hears your worship, you're joining in with worship that God is already hearing in heaven, which makes it holy. 
So it says, holy, holy, holy. And then the next line is, the whole world or the whole earth or all the heavens are full of God's glory. The line should be, the whole world is full of God's holiness. Do you see that? Like if you say, holy, 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 the whole world is full of his holiness. That's how the song should go. But the song goes, holy, 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 the whole world is full of God's glory. Because glory and holiness are connected. Holiness is being separated. Something is holy when it is separated from everything else. And for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just separated from, but I'm gonna, and this is going to sound weird, but it's separated to. It's not just separate from the world, but separate from the world in connection to Jesus. So you're separated from, but just as important, you're separated to. You're connected to something. This is the difference between just believing in something and believing in the truth of the Scripture. And so holy means something, a person, or a, usually a person, or a thing, or, or something divine, or something normal, is holy when it's separated. Maybe you use a word like consecrated. Uh, it's special because it's connected to the Lord, because it's connected to Jesus. Glory, then, are, is the existence of moments and people, and objects, which are the manifestation of God's holiness. That's a line you didn't think you'd hear this morning, right? The glory is the manifestation, the physical resemblance of God's holiness. So the Bible says, holy, 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 that's what God is. The whole world is full of his manifestation of holiness. You can see why they use the word glory, right? Nobody's buying that song. <laughs> That single is plummeting. Uh, There is holy, holy, holy. The whole world is full of objects and moments and concepts and ideas that are full of the declaration of God's holiness. Uh, Psalm 19 actually starts this way and says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The mountains are shouting the glory of the Lord. What it means is the physical world around us is actually bearing witness to The holiness, the physical manifestation of the holiness of God. So when you're driving and you're coming down the hill towards the roundabout, that little pit of hell there, and you look up (laughs) and you see the mountain, there's a definite disparity because that mountain is screaming of the glory of God and the roundabout is not, right? But... (laughs) But that, as you're coming down the, the hill to, see, to the roundabout, you'll see the mountain. Or when you're driving up I-5 on a clear day and you see Mount Hood, you feel something. I don't know anyone that doesn't feel something. You feel something because you are made to experience the glory of God and the mountains. The Bible says the heavens, the mountains, the hills are constantly shouting about the holiness of God. The separateness of God. How God is apart from us. And that develops a feeling in us because we know that God loves us. And because God sent his son to earth to die, we are brought into that glory and brought into that holiness. That holiness that is shouting that God is holy. That glory that you experience when you see physical things in your world. 
It reminds us of how great God is. And then if you've put your full faith and trust in God, it brings you a happiness and a joy, not because of the mountain, but because of why the mountain is there. We would ask, why Jesus, right? Why Easter? An equal question is, why mountains? They're, they're really inconvenient. You have to drive over them. That's the main inconvenience. <laughs> That's really the only inconvenience. <laughs> but it is like, why is the world the way it is? Because God designed it to be a constant reminder of his love for us, to be a constant reminder of his glory. And so we are happy because of the hope that we have in sharing God's glory. Here's what this means. Sometimes you'll see the church doing things that the church is designed to do, and you feel something. You'll see the church, and I don't mean just this church, I mean like the church universal, the church living in a way that Jesus lived, and you feel like that's, like that's right. Sometimes you see it not happening, right? Just like sometimes you see mountains being destroyed or being mined or being misused. And you feel like, that's not right. And you don't know why that's not right, but you know that's not right. And then you see people live in a certain way and it makes you unhappy. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you share in the hope of God's glory. Let me back that up. I said it backwards. You have hope in sharing God's glory. That's actually radically different. Because what that means is if you're a follower of Jesus, that you're not just separate from you're separated too, and you become a physical representation of who God is in the world. And the mission of God, the death of God, the death of Jesus is a part of the mission of bringing the demonstration of the kingdom of God to the world. This is, um, can we put that, the Psalm 24? This is Psalm 24, written uh, a couple of thousand years before Jesus' uh, life. I'm going to read this, and then uh, there's two slides, and then we're going to come back and try to explain it, okay? It says, open up you gates, open wide you aged doors, let the glorious, and the glorious king will come in. You should have a clue as who the glorious capital K king is from what I'm talking about. Who is this glorious king? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, the powerful warrior, Open up, you gates. Open wide, you aged doors, and the glorious king will come in. Who is this glorious king? The Lord all-powerful. He is the glorious king. He is the physical manifestation of holiness king. Go back to that first slide. Some people think that this poem is actually a call-and-response representation of when Jesus died. And if you read uh, uh, 1 Peter... Uh, Jesus actually descended into the depths to preach to the already dead, which is confusing, but um, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Some people think that this is Jesus knocking on the door of hell. Other people disagree. Some people think this is Jesus knocking on the door of heaven, going in. Other people think this is Jesus knocking on the door of you, whatever that means. Knocking on your aged gates. <laughs> But if Jesus is, when he dies, the scripture teaches he descends into some kind of Hades and then he's resurrected. 
Open up, you gates, open wide, you age doors, and the glorious king will come in. And the answer comes from inside the doors. Who is this glorious king? And the answer is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, the powerful warrior. And then there's another knock. Open up, you gates, open wide, you age doors, and the glorious king will come in. And from the inside, there's a response. Who is this glorious king? The Lord all-powerful, he is the glorious king. See, if Jesus, in his death, is actually dying so that the world would have a demonstration of how much God loves them, that he is knocking on the door of people's hearts, of people's lives, Jesus is confronting you and saying, hey, I'm here, open up, let me in. And your response is, who even are you? Who, like... Who even knocks on a door at a house these days? Why didn't you call, right? And the response is, this is the glorious king. This is the king who is holy, who you can be happy because you have hope in sharing in his glory. You can search for happiness everywhere. You can search for happiness in the things like, if I only had this, if I only managed this. A lot of times that conversation goes back to money. I would be happy if I just had this much. Or sometimes it's relational. I would have, I'd be happy if, you know, my parents didn't suck. Don't, don't, don't look at them. All right? Some of you are young here with your parents. Be like, he's talking to someone else, mom and dad. I appreciate that Easter basket. I'm 22, I don't understand. But <laughs> Some of you, it, it is relational though. And those relational things are stressful. And you have a difficult time experiencing happiness because of the situations that you're in. We don't have peace with each other. We don't have peace maybe with God. Sometimes you don't have peace with God and you're, you're not interested in it. Sometimes you're a devout follower of Jesus and you're struggling with having peace with God. What it is to be happy, that kind of like, we're actually kicking this off today and I'm talking about this today on purpose because next week for the next six weeks we're going to talk about what it means to be happy. I actually think that for some of us it's going to be like a permission giving six weeks, like you're allowed to be happy. For some of you, because you're so driven, you just think happiness is this thing for shallow people. Or some of you, you're just so overwhelmed with the negativity of the world that you're not able to just be happy in your circumstances. And maybe your circumstances are genuinely difficult. And it is difficult to be happy. And the truth of the scripture is, you can be happy, can I go back to that Romans verse? You can be happy because you have hope in sharing God's glory. Because God made you to be with him, to be in relationship with him, God made you to be holy. God made you to be a physical demonstration of his glory in the world. So when God made you, he had a dream and a hope for your life. No matter if you're here and you've never thought about Jesus, or if you have and you hate Jesus, you used to believe and you don't really anymore because life has managed to pound that faith out of you. God made you with a purpose. And the problem is that purpose gets destroyed. 
sometimes by our own selves, sometimes by life circumstances. The way the Bible teaches it is that our, our sin actually breaks down that relationship between us and God. It breaks down that peace and then breaks down our purpose in life. But Jesus was given to die for our sins. It's not a matter of being good enough or not good enough. You don't get to the end of everything and go to the pearly gates and St. Peter's there with a weight scale of your good things and your bad things. It really is a question of who's paying for your sin. And the only answer is Jesus who was given for our sins. And when you put your full faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus himself said this in John chapter 11, that when you put your full faith and trust in Jesus, your body may die, but you will not. That you will never experience what it is to die. It's called eternal life. And it's not something that starts after you die. It's not like a second life. It's not a reincarnate or a spiritual reincarnation. It is a continuation of the life that you're living currently for people who put their full faith and trust in Jesus. They have a hope of sharing in God's glory because they have the blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. Not that we will enjoy someday, but that we now enjoy. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection says that right now, this physical, material, everyday world that you're walking around in matters. It matters enough that Jesus was given to die for this life. Not so that you can someday go somewhere to fun land, but so that this life, you can experience God's glory. You can be in the demonstration of God's holiness to the world. And you can experience that grace in your life through putting your faith in Jesus. We've been made right with God through our faith. If we say Happy Easter, and the happy part is confusing, you wonder how a person can be happy. You turn on the news, and there are, there's multiple channels 24 hours a day giving you reasons why you shouldn't be happy. There's things going on in our world this morning that give me reasons to not be happy. You know, the scripture teaches I can be happy because I share in the hope of God's glory. Because even though they take my life away, I do not die. <laughs> if you're here, and this is kind of awkward, but you've never thought about that, it's like a great time to think about that. I don't want to be like um, manipulative emotionally or say something. We're not going to sing like six songs so that you make a decision. But I'll tell you this, the greatest decision that you can make in the history of your world, and like the greatest decision that humans have ever made in history is the decision to put their faith in Jesus, to have peace with God, to live back into why they were created, to be in relationship with God so that you can share in the hope of God's glory. That decision, all it is, is a simple prayer. And I'm going to pray in a minute. We always pray together. And I'm going to pray in a minute. And while we're praying, if you've never...
prayed that, I'm going to invite you just to say that prayer. And it's not going to be, I'm not going to trick you and say, say the prayer and then walk up here. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm going to say this. If today you're feeling like I've never had a relationship with Jesus, and let me say this. Some of you have been going to this church for years, and you've never sat down and made a, had a decision to actually give your life to Jesus. It's, it's not about association. When you get to heaven and you're at Peter's gates and you're looking for the way scale, it's not there. You're wearing a Grove t-shirt, that's not an advantage. <laughs> Some would say it's a disadvantage. <laughs> the only thing that matters is what you do with Jesus. And what I'm telling you you need to do with Jesus is put your faith and trust in him because he has designed you to be in relationship with him and you will feel you can ask every single person here who has said the prayer, who has taken those steps to following Jesus, it's like you've been born again. It's like you're experiencing the world for the first time. It's like an unhearing person who, re who receives hearing aids that work, or a colorblind person that puts on a pair of those glasses. It's all of a sudden you see the world completely differently, and what that is, is the hope of sharing in God's glory. And you're invited to that. See, Jesus was given to die and rose again as an invitation to you to put your full faith and trust in the God that loves you so much that his own son is given so that you can have eternal life. His own son is given because you matter that much. Because your, your life, your everyday walking around is worth the death of Jesus is worth the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to pray together, and I'm going to encourage you, if you've never made that prayer, made that your prayer, <clears throat> you've never had that conversation with God, he is just a prayer away. And you just simply would say, Lord, I've lived this on my own, I've screwed it up, that's obvious, and I want to ask forgiveness for my sin, and I want to receive the hope of sharing in your glory, of living forever, of making Jesus your Lord, your King, not just the glorious King, but your glorious King. So let's pray together. God, right now in this room, I would pray that you would speak to our hearts. For those of us here who have never made that decision for you, who have never thought through what it means for you to be the king of our lives, for you to be the king of our hearts, the king of our motivations, the king of our decisions. I want to pray, Lord, that today would be a day when we feel like we are completely born again. If you've never prayed that prayer, I, I, it, it would go like this. You would just say, Lord, thank you for your son. I can't believe that someone would love me this much, even though they know me the way they know me. And I would ask God for you to forgive my sin, help me to turn away from living on my own, and God become the king of my life. May the glorious king become your king. 
Jesus, all across this room, I pray that you would bring people to you. That you would allow us to let go of the things that we're holding on to that actually separate us from you. The things we're pursuing for happiness that are actually destroying our happiness. Because everything is empty except for the fullness that we experience in you, God. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his unexpected, glorious resurrection that gives us hope and sharing in your glory and makes us happy. Amen. Uh, if you prayed that prayer uh, for the first time uh, or maybe for the 10th time, <laughs> uh, we have on your way out, I mean, there's way too many people here, so it's going to be awkward, but Everybody picks up chairs at the end. We're going to worship some more because it's worth it. Uh, but everybody picks up chairs at the end. But if you said that prayer for the first time, uh, don't pick up your chair, all right? Uh, you are free to go. Uh, but don't leave. <laughs> we have a go-kart. Uh, it's a cart full of resources out there. And there'll be a couple of people there uh, that really want to help you and give you the thing that you need. Like, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one, all right? Or if you're wondering, like, this is, they can have a conversation with you and give you the resources to take the next step. Uh, in following Jesus. If you're going to be born again, you're going to have a whole new experience of what it is to be human. You're going to actually experience what the Bible says it is to be human. And we want to help you take those next steps, all right? So uh, the go-kart on the way out, there's going to be a couple people there that want to help you, all right? Let's stand and worship together.